Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. Those nominated this year are for her portrayal of a woman's quiet desperation as she sees her life, her family, and ultimately her world disintegrating around her, Jane Alexander in Testament. As the colorful, witty, multidimensional widow and mother whose stormy relationship with her daughter causes them both to grow. Shirley MacLaine, in terms of endearment. As a blue-collar woman whose growing social and political awareness brings knowledge, passion, and ultimately her own defeat, Meryl Streep in Silkwood. For her warm and affectionate portrayal of a British working girl who longs for something more and finds it through the awakening of her own mind, Julie Walters, an educating Rita. And for her performance of brilliantly etched moments from a marriage and a life which are the center of the film, Deborah Winger, in terms of endearment. And the winner is a rock. <laughs> <laughs> the winner is Shirley MacLaine. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. I'm Kyle Brandon, your host, and today we're going to be talking about the 1984 ceremony win year for Shirley MacLaine. This was her first Oscar, and it's a little surprising that this is her first and only. A lot of people said that she should have won for The Apartment, but famously she lost to Elizabeth Taylor for a tracheotomy. Uh, this episode, we will be joined today by a friend, a co-worker, uh, Ted Morris. He is a veterinarian as well as a comedian. I think he is full-time comedian now, so he's an ex-vet. He cut off my cat's balls. Uh, <laughs> thank you for that, Ted. Pleasure. And uh, you can check out uh, Ted Morris's um, Just for Laughs gala that he did with Jonathan Van Ness and Trixie Mattel called Kick. Uh, on CBC Gem and uh, perhaps Crave TV as well. We'll have to double check that. Um, hi, Ted Morris. How are you? Hi, Kyle. I'm great. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I am so happy that you are here. I never tell you this, but I love you so much because... Of course you do. There are very few gay comedians in Canada that I can actually get along with. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers to that. So I'm so glad that you were able to make time. Uh, I see that you are wearing scrubs, so I assume that you are coming from work. Yes, I cut off some dog balls. <laughs> I took out a cat uterus and I extracted a tooth. Uh, wow, you Big think day? <laughs> yeah, I've had a day too. Wow, <laughs> that's uh, that's a very interesting day. So I know that you were doing comedy. Uh, you're doing comedy full time. Are you just going back to the vet thing part time just to like occupy yourself during the pandemic? Yeah, I, uh, they the vet they hired to replace me got cancer. Seriously, oh. right? If you're trying to replace me, uh, so I went back like last year just part time to to help them out, and then. They needed more help. Uh, they, they've hired someone 
else knew and he couldn't start for a little while and their other vet is still sick so wow i've been uh, i've been going in doing appointments and chopping off balls and, <laughs> and re- realizing why i quit in the first place oh 100 percent. so you're kind of like semi-retired but not by choice uh yes yeah if the i mean everyone's like just leap and the universe will catch you and right. so i leapt and then a pandemic happened <laughs> like three months after i decided to do comedy full-time oh god timing yeah no i know i mean when we moved to this apartment in the gay village it was like we moved here because we were like we'll be in the middle of everything yeah. we'll go like to the the bars and it'll just be like party and fun and we'll go to pride and then the pandemic happened yeah. and then we got stuck with the super high rent and then uh, here we are. So 1984 is the ceremony year. Uh, Best Picture went to Terms of Endearment. Best Director went to James L. Brooks for Terms of Endearment. Uh, Best Actor went to Robert Duvall for Tender Mercies, which I love that word tender, just tender. 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 Uh, Best Supporting Actor went to Jack Nicholson for Terms of Endearment. And Best Supporting Actress went to Linda Hunt for The Year of Living Dangerously, which apparently she does yellow face in this movie. (laughs) Yellow face never goes out of style. No. Welcome to the 80s. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, it's a reason to sort of dive back into that. I'd be curious to see that because I know that Cher was expecting to win for that. Um... And she didn't. And she didn't. And Suck it, Cher. <laughs> so these two movies, uh, we do have a bit of a theme going on. Two of these nominated performances are about uh, nuclear energy and the effects of it in a fictional sense, as well as a theme of movies that kind of were made after the China Syndrome with Jane Fonda in 1979, where there was a ton of movies in the 80s that were about, um, like, nuclear warfare or like the effects of nuclear energy or things that can go wrong and a lot of these things actually happened before Chernobyl because Chernobyl was 1986 and these movies were like earlier than that so I feel like Chernobyl was probably the climax of like all of these fictional stories that led Oh, the nuclear scares were huge in the, being a little child in the 80s. <laughs> it was huge. I can't remember the name of the movie. It was like The Day After Tomorrow or something. But, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Uh, and that was like, I think grade six that that came on and everyone was terrified. I was like, can we even watch this movie? Can we handle it? Yeah. Can our tiny little brains deal with nuclear holocaust? Did you have to learn like um, strategies of like if there is some sort of a nuclear thing that happens? Like if you're at school, like do you get under a desk? Like, like was there duck some... Duck and cover drills? Yeah. Like, did you have to learn that? No. They mentioned it. Like I remember <laughs> like grade five, they were like, oh, and the Americans are doing duck and cover drills. And we're like, are we doing those? are like, no. <laughs> <laughs> we're in Ottawa. We're not a target, no matter what happens. Oh, that's really funny. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Like, no one's coming for Canada. We're too boring. No, no. I, I think there were uh, there were missiles aimed at Sudbury right. because of the mine, because of the nickel mine. That was considered a uh, an important target right. for the Reds. <laughs> but, hey, I think Sudbury would look better if it got bombed. Well, after I watched the Chernobyl limited series on HBO, I literally got those, because there's a nuclear power plant in Pickering, which is close to here. And if you're in a 50 mile radius, you get free iodine pills. Delicious. Yeah. I thought like (laughs) that I, I should get them just in case. So I have like, they're free. So you just send them your information. They just send them to you. So like, yeah, we, I have like iodine pills. Yeah. You got to take them right away or you're going to get a huge tumor. Yeah. (laughs) 
So uh, anyway, (laughs) (laughs) this is going to be a fun one. Yeah, this is a fun one. So let's just jump right into it then. So let's talk about the movie Testament with Jane Alexander. Um, Jane Alexander, the only thing that I recognize her from is Kramer vs. Kramer, which I did for this podcast, which she was nominated for a supporting role for. And the movie uh, Testament was uh, directed by Lynn Littman, and I was surprised to see that it was directed by a woman because during this time, actually basically still to this day, (laughs) throughout history. Yeah, it's pretty surprising to see female directors. Yeah. And so I was a little surprised that a female director was attached to a this project, I didn't know what it was about, but I wanna, when I was started watching it and stuff like that, I was like, oh, this is kind of, I would assume it was like an action movie or something at first. And you have a woman directing it. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then I found out that it was actually a made-for-TV movie that the critics just really liked, so they decided to release it theatrically. That makes sense. Exactly. It felt like a made-for-TV movie. Exactly. Because, yeah, I was wondering, I was like, there's a lot of things weird about this movie. You, a, you have a female director, and I mean absolutely the least amount of offense by that as possible. It's just I understand that there are few opportunities for women yeah. in Hollywood. So I was a little surprised, especially with this kind of subject matter, I was a little surprised by that in the 80s. And then also it seemed very low budget. So then I thought like maybe that's why. And then I saw that it was a TV movie. And Lynn Littman, who directed this, she said that she has never done anything in Hollywood, even this movie. And she was like, if this was a Hollywood production, I would have never gone anywhere near it. And they would never have let me. Fair enough, Lynn. <laughs> Fair enough. I will, just, I will just say I had never heard of this movie. Like, yeah. even in passing, I'm like, no. What yeah. do you mean? Oscar nominated? No, 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 no. Yeah. I, yeah. And then reading the synopsis, I was expecting a very different movie. Yeah than the one that we got. Like, my synopsis would be, there's a flash of light in the suburbs, right. and then everyone slowly dies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, because there was definitely parts of this film where you were hoping that it would get better. Well, at first, I was like, okay, they're establishing, like, a slice-of-life movie, I get it, so we have to have some establishment of who everyone is. And then you get to the point where you're like, when is the bomb going to drop? Like, I, know, I can yes. someone please drop a bomb on these people so yeah. something <laughs> interesting happens? Well, that's the thing. I think they spent a lot of time off the top establishing that, like, they're just the all-American family and they're so wholesome and, you know, it's just your typical matriarch and patriarch of the family and stuff. And then it takes forever to get to the point and then the light thing happens where there was bombs or whatever it was exactly because San Francisco got bombs which is so homophobic (laughs) so homophobic (laughs) Um, also just putting this out there that her alarm clock was a Jane Fonda workout well, it was the 80s. We had uh, my sisters and my mom would do Jane Fonda's 20-minute workout. On, yeah. You had to flip the record over to do, to do, I guess, the extended workout. I don't know. It wasn't a cass- like a video cassette or like a beta tape? Oh, we couldn't afford a VCR. Okay. We like, a, like Some of these movies I definitely watched because my parents rented a VCR right. from, the, from the video store for a weekend so we could watch some movies. What a gift. But no, Jane Fonda, yeah, you couldn't jump too much otherwise... You know, the record would skip and you'd have to start the workout all oh. over again. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. For sure. Um, I definitely love how Kevin Costner popped up in the movie. Yeah, baby Kevin Costner and, baby and Kevin Costner. Rebecca De Mornay. <laughs> he was so stiff, <laughs> distant, and weird in this movie. And I can kind of understand how his career... I think he made a lot of good choices, like with Dances with Wolves and Angels in the Outfield and then... 
Waterworld, and then just it kind of choices. I think he had a little moment, and after watching him in this movie, I can kind of see why uh, his career didn't, like, he, I don't know. Like, anyway, it's just like he demonstrated to me, I was like, yeah, wow, that was really awful, like, seeing him in this movie. He was awful in this movie. He was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) He was terrible. Yeah, the only actor I knew was uh, Lucas Haas. Okay. And that was just because he did, like, Witness. Was he the dad? He was the kid. He was the, uh, was he the first of their kids that died, or he was... Well, the okay, so let's talk about... First of all, so Jane Alexander in the movie is the mother of these kids, and I became very frustrated with how she was supposed to have, like, a greasy look to her and, like, no makeup, but she always looked great. It was a very casual apocalypse. Yes, I love Like, that. things kept going. <laughs> I'm like, first of all, now that we've seen how Americans react to a crisis, it was just wildly, uh, like, unbelievable. Yeah. Like, everyone's just very calm. They still had garbage pickup for, like, weeks after the world yeah. ended. <laughs> and then at one point, they're like, are we going on a picnic? I'm like, if you saw the lights and your husband's, like, commuting to San Francisco, shouldn't you all be very dead soon? Yeah, 100%. And he never came home. So he it, never came home. You assume he dies. Um, so yeah, this was originally shot as a made-for-TV movie, so I feel like maybe some of the criticisms that, like, we might have toward it, it's like, well, maybe it wasn't their fault because the budget was so low. Um, yeah, they just had, like, the small town set and just a town full of white people. That's yeah, exactly. That I noticed. I was like, okay, yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is the 80s. Yeah. Uh, and therefore only white people exist on film. I did clock the one black person at the church, though. There was one black guy with a beard. And it was like, oh, there you are. There he is. And then that was it for the it's rest. It's like, I rake the leaves at the church. Yeah, That's exactly. why I got cast. That's why I got here. Um, I think that in terms of Jane Alexander's performance, I think it was more like seeing a familiar face from the 70s in a made-for-TV movie, and she brought her talent to the story. But compared to the other nominated performances, I would say that this was the weakest one. However, there are things in here that are the reason why. And I think it just comes down to budget because obviously this was a made-for-TV movie and it's not quite the same thing as... And so I think that Jane Alexander did the best that she could with it. Um, But there was just a lot of so many cringe moments. Like whenever her daughter talked about walking in on her mom and dad fucking and then being like, what does it feel like? That was so awkward. <laughs> no, and then she says, "Don't tell me like a mom." I'm yeah, like, Ew. <laughs> so gross. And then she says, "Quote, well, you have a space that a person fills up." It's just like... Please fill up my space. <laughs> the line of the movie. And, uh, you know, I think some of the better moments is whenever she's looking, whenever her son dies. I think it was the youngest son that died. And they're burying him in the backyard and she cannot find his teddy bear. Yeah. And she's frantically running through the house. That was a great moment. You know, you've... Cause Frankly, this movie was kind of comically bad. And it then, was so bad. Like, yeah. if there's a nuclear holocaust, yeah. don't do the school play. Like, yeah. Nobody <laughs> wants to go to the school play at the best of times. You're like, let's have some normalcy for the kids. I'm like, no, no, let's go find some iodine pills. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we should all be doing right now. Like, the play was a bigger disaster than like, oh. the fallout. <laughs> I understand why the why they dropped those bombs. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I think she had really nice moments because she's Jane Alexander. She obviously has the talent and she brought a lot of great acting to certain scenes. But overall, there was just... I guess for the time, maybe this movie meant a lot to people, but it just doesn't really age well because now it's quite corny and quite silly to watch. Yeah, I mean, she didn't really have much to to work with with the script. Exactly. It was a very, like, small... They were trying to do, like, a small, quiet holocaust. How the holocaust yeah. affects the nuclear family. Yeah. Uh, and, like, she really did not have much to work with. Yeah. Why she tried to bathe her kid in that absurdly small bowl that he then had <laughs> wickedly bloody diarrhea in. I was like, you've lost it. You've lost it completely. Yeah. Let me just watch my child in a teacup. Yeah, like in the, in the sink and it was just covered with shit. And then she was dipping the cloth <laughs> yes. into the shitty water and then like wiping it on his face. I was like, what? what is... I don't understand what's happening here. Um, also, the seniors were surviving but not the children. Yeah. That yeah. was weird. If, I mean, everything... Everything about it was weird. I enjoyed the fact that they showed, like, the breakdown of society just from men not having their ties done up properly. Like, yeah. they would just have it slightly loose, and that was <laughs> to indicate their, their inner mental turmoil. But yeah. everyone still got their suits on. Yeah. Um, the, uh, oh, uh, another... Okay, well, another thing that I kind of thought was that she uh, was just, like, a little too chill about, like, her kids dying. Yeah. And her husband like obviously being dead it was like she accepted everything very early on it was like okay let's just see how this plays yeah (laughs) like she seemed i feel like i wanted more from her also a fun fact about this movie that i read that i was like okay they were like um they said that in the movie that hiroshi the little uh kid that had down syndrome they said hiroshi actually has down syndrome as like a fact of this movie on imdb and i'm like yeah I hope so. Otherwise, that was an amazing <laughs> performance. Yeah, give, give him the Oscar. Just yeah. the physical mannerisms, everything. Yeah. Do you remember when she kissed the priest on the mouth very intimately? Yes. When she was like burying so confusing. one of her like 47 children. <laughs> and then she just turns around and makes up with the priest. And then they never go back to it. Yep. There were so many issues with this movie. That's all she needed. She just needed some lips. Yeah. And then um, I think that... Uh, I think that overall this movie, I think Jane Alexander, I think that they were probably just nominating her because she was like a familiar face at the Oscars. At this point, she'd been nominated twice. So I think that they were like, well, this is really resonating with people and we know how talented she is. So maybe they just gave her this Oscar nomination because of like who she was. Maybe not necessarily for any specific moment in the movie because frankly watching this in 2021 it was like laugh out loud it was it was such a snooze fest it really was <laughs> the only thing that got got me excited was when I thought she was going to take out Hiroshi. Yeah. I was like, you're going to murder Hiroshi? Like, you're all going to do this suicide pact? But Hiroshi really, I don't think, has consented to this. Yeah, I know. Because she told him that they're going to Disneyland. Like, dark. It's just, that's, is like, in every, like, thing in, like, the, the Simpsons and in Family Guy and in, like, 80s things, it's like the trick to kids was always, we're going to Disneyland. Yeah. And then this was a very dark twist. <laughs> no follow-up questions. <laughs> Why are we in the garage with all of the towels underneath all the, like, air holes? And that's not even how you do it. You can't find a hose. You can't borrow your dead neighbor's hose and run it from your car, like, yeah. into the window. Like, yeah. it feels like you really didn't want to do it. Like, I'm not surprised that they bailed. Yeah. I think my favorite moment, though, of the movie was when Kevin Costner had to tell Jane Alexander that the baby died. And he just goes... My baby died. <laughs> and then he walks away and you were like, wow, um, 
how the Oscars missed this performance. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, okay, do you have anything else that you would like to add about this movie before we move on? Uh, no, just that Lucas Haas was good casting because he always looks like he's about to die. So that was <laughs> that was a no-brainer. Well, there you go. Um, okay, so since we're just talking about these sort of nuclear energy kind of movies, let's talk about Silkwood and Meryl Streep. Oh, Karen Silkwood. <laughs> so, yes, this is based on Karen Silkwood. I didn't realize that the movie was actually based in the 70s because, frankly... Like, when I watch movies from the 80s and the 70s, it's just one giant camel toe. Like, I don't know. I can't Was tell the difference. Was this supposed to be in the 70s? Because they had a giant... Didn't they have a giant cell phone? That's very 80s. Yeah, no, this was based in 1974. Oh, it f- missed the mark. I thought so, too. Or perhaps they were, like, making it in the 80s, but then at the end of the movie when they cut to the grave of Karen Silkwood and it says, like, you know... I don't remember what it started, but it's like 1950-something to 1974. So maybe they were just trying to demonstrate that, mm. like, see, it's real. Like, this happened. But I'm pretty sure that it was based in the 70s. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about... Okay, so let's talk about Silkwood. So Meryl Streep had just won her movie... Her, or won her movie. Won her Oscar for the movie um, Sophie's Choice. And at that point, everybody was regarding it as, like, the greatest performance of all time in film history. And um, so Silkwood... You know, this is when Meryl Streep was, like, really, like, at the top of her game. Yeah. And Silkwood is the story of uh, Karen Silkwood, who is not a perfect person. And she was essentially kind of poisoned by the nuclear facility that she was working at that was really sketchy, that was clearly more profit-oriented than caring about their actual employees. So I guess they allegedly poisoned her on more than one occasion and then um, allegedly ran her off the road and killed her. There's actually no proof of that, by the way. Mysterious circumstances is what they say. They're all like, mysterious. Yes, because in the end, in the car crash, all of the files that she had that she was taking to the reporter at the New York Times, they were missing from the car, which is why they speculate that it was an attack or it was like they ran her off the road to kill her. But... Allegedly. Allegedly. So Meryl Streep in this movie is um, Karen Silkwood, and then she lives with Kurt Russell, who is the fucking hottest human being (laughs) in this movie. I was like, um, yes, daddy. Who the fuck is this? He didn't own a shirt in this movie, and I was not mad at that. There was one scene where he was standing outside, clearly freezing his ass off. Yeah. Just like... No, 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 I'm like, no, I refuse. Good. I'm like, yeah. you're not even going to pull your Confederate flag off your wall and yes. wrap it around you? <laughs> I love that you said that because this is literally what I wrote. I said, I will forgive the Confederate flag. <laughs> That's so funny that you said that. Yeah. I will forgive the Confederate flag. I will not forgive him for lying in the bed playing a banjo. I know. Like that was like, okay, you need to, you need to smash that banjo and just take your pants off. Oh, hundred percent. Remember when he like, he like, he's standing in the door, like <laughs> leaning on the doorway. I was like, oh, like he. You could get it. Yeah, you could do better than Meryl Streep's mullet. <laughs> yeah, just for just sure. nominate his abs and his yeah. chest. Yeah, yeah, delicious. Beautiful, beautiful man. Um, I also found out that he got nominated for a Razzie in a movie that he did in like 1990 or whatever because he was like in drag for two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I checked it out. Pretty lady. Um, okay, so. If you have not seen Silkwood and you don't know what Meryl Streep looks like in this movie, if you listen to my last episode, she is literally wearing the wig that she made for Diane Keaton in Marvin's room. (laughs) It is a hot mess. It is a hot mess. Hot mess. Um, And 
Meryl Streep in this movie when she plays Karen Silkwood, so she lives with Cher and Kurt Russell, and Cher is a lesbian that was exposed to nuclear waste. Oh, and that's why she became a lesbian. That's why she became a lesbian. And uh, Meryl Streep in this movie is just. I fucking love her in this movie. She's I, fantastic. I love this movie and I love her in this movie. Like she is at the top of her game in this movie. You see every single facet of her character because she's not very likable. She's kind of that annoying coworker like, hey, can you take my shift this weekend? Yeah. And, um, you know, she obviously is a very flawed person. She's no longer living with her children and that's kind of a hot button issue with her because like, you know, Cher uh, to get back at her is like, you know, you're not great with your kids and like there's a reason that you're not living with them and, you just see so many angles of this flawed person and um, her Karen Silkwood's real life boyfriend, Drew Stevens, actually saw this movie and he was so moved by Meryl Streep's performance. He said it was magic because it t- it makes a human being out of Karen instead of a myth. So she brought so much reality to the role. And I think that hearing that from the boyfriend is such a compliment. Yeah. Um, she nailed it. Yeah, I I think so too. So yeah. So what did you, what did you think? Uh, it's um, oh, I, I I don't think I loved it as much as you did. I thought it was good. Like I mean, there were parts of it where I'm like, okay, you're very concerned about all this nuclear waste, but or nuclear waste, this plutonium that you're working with. Yet in every single scene, there's a cigarette in your hand. <laughs> I know every single one. I'm like, well, maybe you've got other things to worry about, Karen. Uh, it was it, she was good though. It was I I wish um. I wish they knew more. Like, like I found it a very unsatisfying ending because they're like, and she died, and we don't know what, right. but we suspect all this stuff. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. And I kind of wish that they'd explored that a little more. But if there's no information, there's no information. Right. Well, the plant that she was working for closed down a year yeah. later, so they must have been doing something. Just some, just some casual plutonium stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was weird. Cher was weird casting. Oh, really? Like, you didn't? Oh, that's funny. I felt that she wasn't used. Like, I felt that that, that role could have been played by anyone. Yeah. Uh, and I know it was one of the first roles that, that Cher did, but I'm like, yeah, that could have, could have been anyone. I didn't realize she was a lesbian. Yeah. It did like, like they had to specifically be like, and you're a lesbian. I was like, oh, like I didn't understand the mortician who was doing her makeup with oh, someone that, that she was, was interested so funny. in. That was the girl that played uh, Tina in Mommy Dearest. Oh. Yeah. And I was like, oh, hey, girl, what are you doing here? Um, well, I used to have a joke about like beauticians who failed at a beauty school having to just do makeup on dead people. <laughs> <laughs> and that's pretty much what, what happened with Cher's makeup. It yeah. Like, it looked terrible. Oh, that you was so You look very funny. pale. And it was, it was the most female, it was the most feminine she looked in the whole movie too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she had like the hair from mermaids, but like the makeup of a corpse. <laughs> and then Kurt Russell's like, you look dead. And then yeah. she's like, yeah, well that's what, that's what she works on. She's like, no. Um, talking about that specifically. Um, so up until this point, the only pe- the only way that people knew Cher was like Sonny and Cher yeah. in these ridiculous, fabulous outfits by Bob Mackie, and she was the original uh, red carpet renegade. So her clothes were very unconventional and very strange. So people really didn't take her very seriously. And then they said that when there was a trailer, some sort of a screening in Chicago, when uh, for Silkwood, when Cher's name came up people started laughing, like, in the theater. Oh, I'm sure. They, and then um, Cher was so terrified of this, and when she talked to her agent or her manager or whatever, um, uh, he was like, you're going to just need to let them see the movie and then just 
give it time and then you'll see. And then when they did see the movie in Chicago, at the end of the movie, when her name came up in the credits, everyone started applauding. Go share. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I she, mean, she did a good job. I just I just thought it could have, like, it was a role that could have been anyone and anyone would have been yeah. equally good in it because yeah. I didn't feel like there was a huge amount to the role. Right. I mean, her biggest scene was sitting there grinding some pot in like a sieve. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. And then being the bad roommate who wraps everything up in tinfoil. Yeah. Like, it was a very important plot point. <laughs> well, I think that more of her good moments was when she tells uh, Meryl Streep that she loves her and then she's like, I know. And she's like, no, like, I love you, love you, bitch. <laughs> and then she does that. And then uh, when, when, uh, uh, they're on that like swinging chair on the porch yeah. and they're like, I didn't know if I understood that scene. It was very well acted, but they were just like sobbing. And I was like, I feel like you guys are like at a 12 for the scene when what was leading up to it didn't call for that. Yeah. It was like, did we miss a scene? Did yeah. Something, did something not make it in there? Cause I'm like, this is some serious drama. Yes. It was, it, it was a, maybe a little intense for me, but, um, I also did write that I was most impressed of Meryl Streep in this movie, how long she would go without ashing the cigarette, (laughs) without it falling. I was like, give her an Oscar for that, because how is this physically possible? It was like the whole cigarette was just ash, and it just wouldn't break apart or fall apart. very impressive. It just looked really satisfying to be able to smoke around children. I was just like, oh, that looked like a good time. I think that... um, the climax of Meryl Streep's performance in this movie is whenever the basically the entire house becomes contaminated because she spills the the, the urine, um, and then she, like the whole house is contaminated, and then uh, the manager of the plant is there, and then she just loses it on him and on everything because she realizes that she's gonna die, and then um, she gets in the car and she drives out like Frint and being hysterical. And I think that that was probably like her best acting, but also it's so difficult to watch her whenever she's being like scrubbed down in the shower. That was horrifying. It was, uh, the scene with Thelma getting scrubbed down, mm-hmm. uh, the lady with the lovely the wig, lady. the old lady with the wig. I remember watching that scene as a, because I would have been, what, like 10 years old when yeah, this right. came out? And that was seared in my brain. Because yeah. I'm like, oh, you see old lady boobs. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no, no. Poor Thelma. Poor Thelma. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, that that's unfortunate. The only old lady naked that I've seen was the bathtub scene from The Shining. Oh, and quality this- scene. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I hope that doesn't come off as ageist. Uh, So, um, yeah, I think that there's this really nice balance that Meryl Streep has in this movie where it's like she seems determined to kind of, because she joins the union and she wants to kind of um, let the people in Washington know the actual truth of what's going on at the plant. And she she seems determined yet uh, terrified. At the same time, and that's kind of an interesting balance mm-hmm. to sort of bring and bring a lot of reality to the situation. And you really see every facet of her. You see the unlikable parts. You have sympathy for her character. And even when she's being like sort of unlikable and stuff like that, it just, it doesn't even make her unlikable. It just sort of makes her more real. Yeah, I was kind of expecting more of like an Aaron Brockovich kind of thing, except mm-hmm. I, got, I got the impression that Karen Silkwood just didn't, 
she didn't have the brains and she didn't have the charisma <laughs> right. that uh, that Aaron Brockovich has. I think I thought the same thing. I think I basically was like, this is like precursor to yeah. Aaron Brockovich. So she was she was doing her best with whatever tools she had. She yes. just didn't have particularly good tools. Um, this film set a legal precedent in the U.S. Supreme Court that was protecting. Uh, confidential sources for filmmakers under the First Amendment. So I guess that um, even while this film is being made, the a nuclear power plant or whatever company that this was attached to was trying to protect their company as much as possible. Um, and uh, maybe finding out which employees it was. It's like, why? So you can kill them too, you know? Like, <laughs> uh, Lily Tomlin actually auditioned to play Dolly, which was Cher. Um, An which, actual lesbian playing a lesbian? Yeah, That'll never fly. I know. I think about that all the time. I'm like, why can't we just have gay people playing gay people? Mm. And they're like, well, we don't want to disgust audiences. Yeah, please. Like, we want people to come and watch these things. <laughs> allegedly, I don't know if this is true, but allegedly Karen Silkwood's actual gravesite in East Texas Cemetery still emits radiation. I don't know if that's true, but I read that. Fun. Um, I think Karen about, Gay Silkwood. Yeah, I think. Yeah, weird, weird middle name. Um, I think of all of the performance, this was probably the most compelling performance for me of like all of the movies. And Meryl Streep just knocked it out of the park. I this was Meryl Streep like at her at her best. Yeah. Peak Streep. Peak, peak Streep, and I. I loved this movie. And if anybody hasn't seen this movie, I just check it out for Kurt Russell shirtless. It's <laughs> worth it. Just gloss over the big Confederate flag. Behind him. <laughs> uh, do you have anything else that you would like to add before we move on? No, let's move on. Okay. Mm. Except I forgot about gravy dog food where you would pour water on kibble and it would make gravy. It was a very 80s thing. I'm like, all you've got is wet kibble. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's that was all that's so going on. Gross. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, ugh, that poor dog yeah. having to eat that. Why do they do that? Why do they add water to the the kibble? It was an advertising thing. They're like, look at this delicious gravy. I'm like, it's just dirty water. <laughs> that's all it is. <laughs> Oh, well, interesting. Okay, so let's talk about Julie Walters in Educating Rita. So Julie Walters, a.k.a. Mrs. Weasley, a.k.a. from Brooklyn, a giddy girl is just as sinful as a slothful man, if you remember my episode with Fiona O'Brien, is Julie Walters. And I absolutely love seeing her in this movie because I actually only know her as Brooklyn, or in the movie Brooklyn, and in as uh, Mrs. Weasley. I know her as Mrs. Weasley, and she was the dance teacher in Billy Elliot. Yes, she yeah. was. She was nominated for a supporting actress role when uh, for that movie. I've never seen Billy Elliot though, because when I was a kid, it was very triggering. Oh, it's very gay. Yeah, that's why I was <laughs> like, I don't want to. I I feel like this is going to end in a hate crime. I've already watched Boys Don't Cry. I don't. <laughs> I don't need to go there again. Um, so Educating Rita, for anybody that doesn't know, is basically like if Jennifer Coolidge and Legally Blonde went to school. Um, in that Julie Walters' is, character is like a working class person from Liverpool. And she is sort of... She, I don't understand this part of it, but it's like her tutor at university is Michael Caine. I didn't understand... Like a tutor versus getting a degree. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't get it. I was like, are you in university? Did you just show up? Like it felt yeah. like she just like pulled a phone number off of yeah. some poster somewhere <laughs> and then showed up at Michael Caine's office like, hi, you're teaching me now. Like I didn't understand yes. that 
like how it all got together. They're just like, here, accept this. I'm like, okay. Yes, I was literally, that's the thing that I found very confusing about this as well. But I was just like, whatever, just go along with it. Because I also was like, are you a student or are you like part-time? confused. He kept calling it open university. Yes. And I, I don't know what that means. Maybe that's a thing in Europe. Me neither. And then she was watching the open university on the TV at one point. And I'm like, is this just like free stuff and you've now gone and harassed poor Michael Caine be <laughs> yes. like please explain these things to me yeah I there, there were a lot of things about this movie that were a little confusing however I fucking loved this movie I've never seen it before oh really what a treat yeah I've seen this this was on like the movie network when we would get free weekends oh uh, yeah in the 80s and this educating reader was always on and I was obsessed with Michael Caine. Yeah. Michael Caine. Yeah, Michael Caine. He is, um, dare I say, kind of sexy in this movie. He, yeah. I mean, he the last vestiges of his sexiness definitely <laughs> waned as the 80s moved on. But yeah, who doesn't love an, an alcoholic professor? I love it. Uh, Julie Walters' character, Rita, in this movie, she's like a hairdresser and she's married 27, 26, and she, st- she still has another baby. No baby. And everyone was like, you know, because obviously that was like the role for women during this time. Yeah. And her husband was angry because she was secretly taking the pill to prevent oh. a pregnancy because she wanted to get on with her own life. And if you have seen the movie um, Shirley Valentine, uh, which is the Queen of England's favorite movie, uh, this was also directed and produced by Lewis Gilbert. So uh, we did um, Shirley Valentine for a different episode podcast and Educating Rita. So this is the same team that made Educating Rita. And um, I absolutely love this movie. Yeah. This, this, this was so great. It, it was... Um, it almost kind of reminded me, if anybody listening to this podcast, if you are familiar with this, it actually reminded me with, uh, with um, it reminded me of Born Yesterday with Judy Holliday, the famous Oscar upset in 1951 uh, when uh, Betty Davis lost and Gloria Swanson lost. Gasp. Yeah, so uh, it kind of had like vibes like that, except for in this uh, Julie Holiday, the Judy Holiday character um, seemed a lot more smart and not as annoying um, <laughs> because Julie Walters' character is like, she's, she's a little hairstylist and then she actually really takes it seriously and like she really goes as far as she can with it and she gets her education and like it's just, yeah, like it's a really compelling story yeah. and um, Julie, Wal- Dame Julie Walters Damn. actually says that many women um, after this movie came out divorced their husbands and said to her that like this movie changed their lives and uh, they thanked her for that. Oh, I, I read that too. I loved how she's like, oh yeah, yeah, just people divorcing all over the place because <laughs> of this. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it's one of those movies that, uh, I don't mind movies based on plays mm. if they don't feel like a play because mm. some of them you're like, well, why why am I not just watching like yeah. a filmed version of the play? Right. Uh, and I think that's part of, partly why she was so amazing in it because she did the character in the play in the West End. So like it was very familiar to her. In 1980. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then this was like her first, I think this was her first movie role. But I, I it, it was. It, yes, it did not feel like a, like a play, like a, a play turned into a movie. It felt like its own thing. I agree with you. And I think that um, I uh, like <laughs> the beginning of the movie, they did a really good job at showing like why British people are boring. You know what I mean? Like they had such a great, like, so boring. yeah, like just like a really great way of like, uh, like a really great, like comedic 
sort of way of demonstrating like why British people are so stuffy and boring and stuff like that. So Julie Walters' character in the movie is kind of like the breath of life into the movie and she's the 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 she's the she's the comedy of the movie you know she's relatable she's scrappy she's charming she's working class she swears like a fishwife yeah great i i absolutely love it um I did think it was a little funny, though, like, whenever her husband was so against her, like, educating <laughs> herself that he burns her books. So dumb. No learning for you. <laughs> no reading for women. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, you don't need to read to raise a baby. Was the baby going to read on your breasts while he's breastfeeding? I don't think so. <laughs> um, I love the scene where she goes to the party that Michael Caine invites her to. And obviously in the movie, Michael Caine has an unrequited love toward her. And I really love that they don't make it a romance thing. Yes. That was so important to this. It could have been so easy to ruin it and just have like a professor-student romance thing going on and that would have made a much less interesting movie. I think so too, because it does actually make her seem like kind of a bit of a like feminist character especially during this time because it's like she left her husband she's pursuing her own career and educating herself and she doesn't want to fall into the role of women that is expected of her Mm -hmm. she wants to do her own thing so I think that if she did end up with Michael Caine in the end it would have maybe taken away from that a little bit yeah for sure yeah yeah she all of a sudden it's no longer her journey it's her journey with a man and that's always boring yeah and I loved how flawed Michael Caine was in the movie because oh, yeah. he has a drinking problem which by the way watching him in this movie was just like like watching myself at comedy bar like just, <laughs> I was like wow and uh, you know I, I loved him in this movie I think that he actually had a really good chance at winning this Oscar he won the Golden Globe he won the BAFTA for lead actor Julie Walters won the uh, BAFTA for lead actress she, she won the Golden Globe so I think their chances were really good but whenever uh, Michael Caine got to the Oscar ceremony they saw how far he was sat from the front row oh and they knew he and wasn't he knew. Mm-hmm. but then apparently at the end of the ceremony um, they gave him a standing ovation like when he was leaving or something like that oh nice but I'd be like I'd prefer the Oscar but thanks. yeah, yeah thank, thank you thank you for this applause that I'll bottle uh, he does say Michael Caine says that of all of his performances he is most proud of this one um, and, uh, in this movie, I love that he kind of got a realistic ending for an alcoholic. Yeah. Where it's like, you need to go. Yeah. <laughs> Take some time. And he's like, sort yourself out. Sort yourself out. Go to Australia. Yeah, it was cute for a while, but it's a bit messy. Now. Yeah. You got, you got to go. And I, I love that. I love that he did that. And I love that it wasn't like Julie Walters was like, I'll fix you. No, I will save you. Yeah. I, I really like She's this. busy saving herself. Yeah. I think that this movie actually has aged really, really well. I, I loved it so much. Um, but whenever she gets invited to that party and then she goes and then she just feels like she's not going to fit in. So then she leaves that note yeah. on the car. She's like, oh, Although I couldn't make it. I thought that was kind of weird. Like I couldn't make it. It's like, but you made it all the way to yeah. this car. <laughs> right. You made it just outside, just yeah. slightly down the street. <laughs> with your She ratted herself out. Your bottle of cheap Spanish wine. I, but you know, I think I kind of related to that scene a lot mm-hmm. because I feel a lot of the times like as a as a gay person you know a lot of my friends are straight growing up I had a lot of straight friends and stuff like that and my parents are straight yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. straight people Just all around a lot of straight people 
And I actually kind of find that way going to parties with other gay people. Because I grew up in like a suburban bubble. And then I moved to Toronto when I was like 28, 29. And Shanti Morastica was like the first gay friend I ever had in my entire life. And so whenever I hang out with gay people, I always have a really difficult time. And I really related to this scene because I'm like, I know what that's like where you're yeah. like, mm, I don't know what I'm going to talk to them about. And I feel I have a very hard time connecting with gay people because like, I mean, that party that you and I were at where all the gay comics and stuff were there and they got so hardcore into pop music and like uh, and like the charts of like 1974 <laughs> and who produced the song. And I'm like, I don't. I don't know this I don't stuff. know what to do. So I just sat there like just folding like napkins. I dick. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I, didn't, I didn't know there'd be a quiz. I know. Exactly. So I really related to that scene. And I think that like there was just so much of this movie where it's like you don't need to be like a, a, like a I don't know, like a, a housewife trapped in an unhappy marriage yeah. to relate to this content. And there was so much of this movie that was just so relatable. And I just, I really loved it. I really, really love this yeah. movie. I, I love the I love the um, the party scene where she leaves a note. I love the scene where she was just sitting in the pub, and her mom's like everyone's singing, and then like she's like I I don't fit in here, and her mom's just quietly crying. <laughs> <laughs> like oh yeah, that's a glimpse of your future. You might want to change change your life. Like if you want to go to the pub every night and sing and drink, then that's great. But she obviously realized there's more to life than this. Yeah. I, how dare she according to her it. family I thought it was a little random though when she had Trish as her roommate who like overdosed yeah and then she was going to potentially miss her exam the next morning at 9am but then like her roommate's totally fine and then she goes to the exam the next day and they don't even talk about it again and she passes, passes with flying colors you're it, like it was a, I thought there was going to be a bigger payoff for that yeah like, oh, is this going no just yeah, yeah. But she's fine. Yeah. Well, what should we do? Should we have her like sleep through her alarm, or should we have her roommate yeah, OD on something? Was, well, that seems more. Yeah, like, it was just a stakes. minor inconvenience yeah. to her. Um, Please don't vomit on my papers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I think my favorite part though, and um, this is going to be a performance piece, so brace yourself. <laughs> um, I do love so much whenever she was imitating her roommate. I burst out laughing whenever she was like, "Hello, Frank," <laughs> and she's like. Wouldn't you simply die without Marlet? As Trish says, there's not a lot of point of discussing beautiful literature with an ugly voice. Oh my God. <laughs> when she did that fucking voice, I died. Because then she switches back into Rita. And then she literally was like, I'm talking about myself. And like just, she switches back into it. And it's so fucking funny. Because whenever people do like proper British accents... Oh my god! I just think it's so funny. <laughs> like I just think it's just the funniest thing. Like a in the posh world. accent. Because like no a... one talks like that. Like I have, um, I have British friends in. Uh, I, I go to this barber shop called Glassbox in Toronto, and it's like sixty dollars for like a buzz cut. You're like, thanks. Uh, but like, you know, it's very stylish, and so I'll spend the money. And then um, the guy that I have, he is from, he's from London, but he's very like. And he's sometimes very difficult to understand because he mutters a lot of his words where um, if I'm around him and we'll just be like make, joking around and stuff like that, if I do like a British accent, it's like I, I would tend to go to like a Downton Abbey like, of course, like yeah. absolutely. And he would just be like, just so you know, like, like no one talks like yeah. that. Like no one. And so when people do that accent, I always just feel like they're just mocking their own culture. Yeah, mo- mocking the uh, the elite 
You know, I think it's so funny. I mean, they don't know. they're still posh people that talk like that, but oh, not. I mean, and England's got a new accent like every half block. Yeah, that's very like, even. Hey, you from across the street? Yeah, aren't you? yeah. It's just this from totally, down the bend. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> well, it's like when we imitate Canadians, like a Canadian accent. Where it's yeah. like, hey, bot, how's it going? Fuck yeah, or bot. Like it's doing a hoser thing or like know, an East Coast thing. Or or like whenever you see Americans uh, imitate Canadians and we sound like complete morons. <laughs> where they're like, oh, hey, how's it going? About a boot. And, and you're like, like, that's Minnesota. 100%. That's 100% Minnesota. The, that's the airport I, oh, the Minneapolis St. Paul airport. Every time I fly through it and I hear that voice on the announcements, I'm like, we're all going to die. <laughs> we're all going to die. Is that what the mechanics sound like? This plane's not making it off the ground. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh, oh yeah! For, oh, you betcha! You got it! You bet! You got a, You got a phone down here? You think? Um, okay, so the uh, movie of educating Rita, uh, educating Rita, they had rights in America, and originally their American producers wanted Dolly Parton for Rita and Paul Newman as the professor. Uh. Paul Newman is such a babe. Uh, yeah, and, and in nineteen eighty three, he would have been. Old, but still back in the still day, still kind of babish. Yeah, yeah, that would have been a very different movie. And then educating Rita. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, heck, darling, I love to learn. <laughs> um, I, I, that's my Dolly Parton. I've never, <laughs> I've never done a Dolly Parton impression. Uh, in two thousand two, Lewis Gilbert, who was the producer and director of this film, actually wanted to readapt this into a play with Halle Berry and Denzel Washington. After they had won their Oscar for Training Day and Monsters Ball, and um, it never happened, but he really wanted it to—he really wanted it to happen. Well, you know, good story, but does it need to be redone? I should, probably not. <laughs> I think um, Julie Walters is just amazing in this movie. Just nails every single scene. I literally, for the rest of of the week, I'm just going to be, you know, talking about simply die without mom <laughs> like i just will be talking like that and it i loved loved her in this movie i would recommend yeah do you have anything else that you would like to add no, before we move on no let us let us move on to the meat the meat of this, of this podcast sandwich. so yes let's talk about uh, terms of endearment so we'll talk about the winner last so let's talk specifically about deborah winger so this movie was directed by james l brooks and i just want to say something that i find absolutely fascinating about this movie james l brooks after finishing this movie actually received a book called life in hell cartoons by matt groaning graining groaning by completing uh this movie and uh he loved it so much that he asked matt graining let's say graining to create shorts for the tracy Ullman show uh which ultimately led to the simpsons yeah and The Simpsons is like my childhood and like one of my favorite things in the entire world. So I uh, love James L. Brooks now because of this. And you can obviously tell that he has so much experience directing comedies because he did like Taxi and um, Mary Tyler Moore and also yeah. Rita. Yeah. And like he did all of those things. So obviously he understands comedic timing. And um, this movie originally. So many actors and actresses like auditioned for it, but apparently Shirley MacLaine was the only one who understood that it was a comedy and how to make it a comedy. So, which is why she was cast. Deborah Winger at this point, um, she. <laughs> so Deborah Winger, she was like really fucking famous. Like you have uh, Officer and a Officer Gentleman. Officer and a Gentleman is the only reference I have to her. Okay, well she yeah. was nominated for a bunch of Oscars, which surprised me when when I was looking into like the background after watching. 
terms of endearment, I'm like, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I was paying no attention. She looks like Janice Ian from Mean Girls and sounds like Goofy. <laughs> that laugh, right? <laughs> it's so raspy, but like, she's so cute. Like, I just, I, I love, I really love Deborah Winger, like, because... Uh, yeah, she's kind of scrappy, but she's just gorgeous, and I I love that sort of I love that I love like a like a like a a raspy voice on a girl. I find that really sexy. Yeah. I don't know why. Not that I'm attracted to Husky. women, but like <laughs> maybe that's why. It's because it sounds like a man. Because it sounds like a man. That's right. Um, a man inside you. She. Uh, uh, one thing I found really weird. So okay. So terms of endearment for anybody that doesn't know is basically about like a really like crossing boundaries mother relationship with her daughter and mother-daughter relationship and uh yeah so Shirley McLean's character so she's the mother and then she's really overbearing as a mother and she can't have any relationships with people because she doesn't have anybody in her life that will challenge her properly except for her daughter which is why she loves her so much and then her daughter gets married and then she goes off with Jeff Daniels who um is uh, probably the, the 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 lowest on my handsome double hot list of this uh Oscar year uh I I don't get it with Jeff Daniels but anyway I because I just see Dumb and Dumber anyway so then <laughs> Deborah Winger and Jeff Daniels they get married they have a bunch of kids their marriage is really rocky and then Shirley MacLaine has her own thing going on she starts dating us ex astronaut I guess or I used to say astronaut uh Jack Nicholson and then um you know he's a ladies man so he doesn't want to settle <laughs> down but then like you know he does kind of do the right thing and then he does with Shirley MacLaine and Wackiness ensues. Anyway, so they did a really good job of separating Deborah Winger's performance from Shirley MacLaine's performance and then sort of meeting somewhere in the middle. Because I felt like when you have two lead actresses nominated at the same time, you're just kind of like, okay, but like, are you dedicating enough time to each person to constitute it as a lead? Because... There's so much Oscar fraud. So, for example, like when Meryl Streep was nominated for a leading role in The Devil Wears Prada, you're like, you were a supporting character. Yeah. Like Anne Hathaway was the lead, the only lead. Everybody else was a supporting character. But whatever. I mean, Anthony Hopkins won an Oscar for Silence of the Lambs for 20 minutes. Yeah. Whatever. And I, I think also, too, uh, Marlon Brando uh, was only in the movie for uh, for Godfather, was nominated uh, or won. Uh, and I think he was only mo- in The Godfather for 20 minutes or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and only that long because he came back for the craft table. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. a hungry boy. <laughs> and, uh, okay, so let's talk about Deborah Winger. So one thing that made me really uncomfortable about this performance was how she kept kissing everyone on the lips. <laughs> yes. I was really uncomfortable by that. <laughs> Fair enough. It was, it was really, really annoying. Um, her kids kept getting older, but she stayed the same age, and her kids getting older was the only way to demonstrate that time has passed. It was a bit like they would do the time jumps, and you're like, okay, what's going on? Like, her hairstyle hasn't changed that much, but that, like, and that kid looks older, but that one doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> right. It was very confusing. It was like, okay, and now there's a third one. Okay, so we've jumped ahead. Yes. Great, great. Um, I think it's hilarious that John Lithgow was nominated for a supporting role for this movie, considering he's in the movie for like two seconds. Two seconds. Yeah. I will. We'll say maybe five minutes. But I loved. Uh, I love John Lithgow. It's like a romantic interest. I know. It's so cringe. It's like, well, I don't know if I want to have an affair, but well, I guess I'll have an affair with you because you helped me pay for my groceries. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was during the time whenever you could be like unfortunate as like a male lead, but the girls had to be like models. Yeah. 
And I'm um, like, mm, bring me on some Danny DeVito dick. Oh, like, God. Just... I forgot that he was in this. Because this movie, like, when the music started, I had a Pavlovian response. Because I think <laughs> I, I think I just absorbed it so much in my, in my childhood. And it's one of those movies, I'm like, have What's I watched the song? This? What's the song again? Like, it's a, the sang, a sung song or it's a no, melody? No, it's just a, it's just the score to, yeah. to Terms of Endearment. But it was it was ubiquitous yeah, right. in the <laughs> 80s. Like, you could not avoid it. It was like, oh, no. So I, I felt like I've seen the movie a million times, and I think I've just seen parts of it yeah. a million times. So it was interesting sitting down and watching yeah. it in the entirety again. Yeah. Uh, well, John Lithgow coming in where, so Deborah Winger and Jeff Daniels' uh, marriage, I think Deborah Winger brought a lot of really she brought it a lot of reality to the role because um, although she didn't look like a mother of three, like she always just looks so well rested and gorgeous, like <laughs> whatever. She because my sister has four children and I'll tell you she does not look like that. It's tiring. It's tiring. It's it's a full time job. Yeah, you know. And so she looked a little too pretty for me, and I didn't enjoy that. But you know, she really did bring a lot of emotional range to um, the performance. She was bringing some some unlikable moments to it, like whenever she was um, having kind of an, an emotional and perhaps physical affair with John Lithgow was that implied I thought I thought it had happened okay yeah it was like, so it was implied you didn't see it you didn't see anything but yeah I was like it's gotta they gotta do it because she yeah which I thought that was curious she's like I don't know if my husband's having an affair but I think he's having an affair right so I'm just gonna have an affair and yeah. it doesn't really matter who I have an affair with yeah I just want to even the score 100% and um I think that like seeing the difficulties that she was having in her marriage, Jeff Daniels, how Jeff Daniels was then having an affair with, I guess, like a student or somebody else that worked on campus or something like that. Um, and seeing her reaction to that. Um, I think that where her real acting comes in is when she is uh, dying and she's in the hospital bed and she's trying to like connect with the children, especially the oldest son that like doesn't like her but she knows that he really does love her yeah, and trying that. to connect to him and you know those those are difficult scenes yeah, to watch that, I think- that scene is the roughest like for a while I I gauged every like sad scene in a movie based on that scene in, in the hospital with her kids oh, I'm like just yeah. that the little kid like just his face the entire time he was acting me. so well he was amazing yeah he, I'm like you you feel like your mom's really dying good job good yeah job. but that yeah that whole scene is just so heart wrenching yeah but you know Steel Magnolias overtook that for, <laughs> for saddest saddest most maudlin scene in a movie um I think that uh it was sort of interesting how she only really seemed to care about her illness, like when the treatments weren't working. Cause then she had to come to terms with like what was actually yeah. happening and what would happen to her and what would happen to her family. And then she knew because of everything that was going on with Jeff Daniels. And it's like, well, Jeff Daniels is not equipped to take it's care useless. of his children. So we're going to have to send him back to my overbearing mother and uh, Shirley MacLaine. And um, I think that <laughs> I was, I don't know if this was intentional, but when her friend Patsy like did her makeup in the hospital bed and she looked like fucking Beetlejuice. <laughs> <laughs> I was she looked remarkably good. Like when when the nurse finally comes in, it was just like, oh, Jeff Daniels, your wife died. Like, yeah. like yes. just so casual, just yeah. kind of goes over, okay, you're dead. And like, you look pretty good for someone who just died you of just cancer. Died, yeah. <laughs> like fresh faced, voluminous yeah. hair. Yeah, that's why they didn't win an Oscar for makeup for them. Yeah, that's right. Um I have to say that this is my second time seeing this movie, and if I'm being perfectly frank, I feel like this will elicit the gay gasp, but 
I didn't really care that she was dying that much. No, I like she was a bit casual about it. Like just the way it all it all unfolded is like, oh, you've got a lump, yeah, and then all of a sudden it's like you're dying. Yeah, I'm like, oh, okay, I feel yeah, like we missed some steps, but I that's get, fine. I get the nomination. I do. Yeah. She really was amazing in this movie, and she. This is like an iconic movie and like an iconic performance. I get the nomination. It's just that I think I cared more about Shirley MacLaine than I did about Deborah Winger because Deborah. But okay, so Emma, so Jodie Foster turned down the role of Emma because she had a commitment at Yale, mm-hmm. and Sissy Spacek was originally cast as well, and then so ultimately went to Deborah Winger. Apparently, Deborah Winger uh, was acting very erratic on set during the entire filming of this because she was addicted to cocaine. Oh, because I know, like, I was like, oh, she's really good at making her nose red. Because oh. I noticed that throughout the movie, I was like, whoever, like. Really good, but now I'm wondering if she was just had just done some coke before that scene. Probably. I mean, I know that um, uh, Shirley MacLaine and she got into it a lot on the set of this movie, um, and apparently she was very, very difficult to work with. And they actually made a special about it, a documentary called "Searching for Deborah Winger" in 2002, um, and. You know, I maybe that's why her career didn't continue to be as uh, high profile, like after the '80s and like mid '90s, maybe. Um, but a lot of people criticized Deborah Winger for not going supporting for this movie because she likely would have won the Oscar mm-hmm. if she would have gone. Oh yeah, because I guess you submit yourself for whatever yeah. category you think is. Yeah, I'm not sure how it works. Or someone submits you. I'm sure someone's. You're like, could you? Yeah. Take that off. I'm not sure how it works, but I think it's sort of like uh, the actors decide Mm. what you're going to be. But I don't know. I'm I'm not not like the Canadian Comedy Awards. No. (laughs) Put yourself in for whatever category. Whatever fits. Yeah. Whatever fits. I think I got this. Do you have anything else that you would like to add to Deborah Winger's performance? Uh, I don't think think so can we talk about how bad jeff daniel's name was yeah what was it flap oh yeah what the hell is that from the from the white names of (laughs) for the people that brought you mitt (laughs) and dunk and flip (laughs) it's just flap i when it says flap i just think like like a meat flap like 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 a vagina. That's what I'm picturing. I'm trying to say vagina. Yeah, I'm trying to say, do you know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> Jack Nichols is Garrett Breedlove. Yes. Also a terrible name. You sound like a gay porn star. Yeah, I know. I was like, ugh. Um, okay, so then let's talk about Shirley MacLaine, the winner. So uh, Shirley MacLaine, in terms of endearment, if you haven't seen it, picture her just dressed like Mary Kay. Um, <laughs> and being a giant cock tease. Yes, she was courted by a lot of men in this movie, and the only one that could win her heart was the man who challenged her, Jack Nicholson. Um, so she, yeah, she was this overbearing mother, very controlling, very clingy, very codependent to her daughter. I think that this is like definitely Shirley MacLaine's at her best being Shirley MacLaine, like the type of sort of no bullshit, but she's funny about it yeah. kind of character, you know? And she's she's so good at playing that role, but I think that she's the best in this movie. Um, I feel like modern audiences would probably say that she has super undiagnosed borderline personality disorder because she kind of makes every situation about her and she's always a victim and she always has to, like, 
be so overbearing into other people's lives about like little not tiny things that are happening to her, but she's always the biggest victim, which of is course. often a very common thing with people with BPD. Um, but you know, this was back in the day where like there was no such thing as mental health no, issues. She was just having a rough day. Yeah, you're just dramatic. Um, and I did think that it was, you know, funny how she was being courted by like all of those men and like she didn't really care because there was a lot of comedic parts of the movie that made you enjoy it. Like whenever the opening scene she goes and like disturbs the baby that's sleeping in the crib yeah. so that she starts crying and she's like, that's better. And then she just leaves. <laughs> There's a lot of really great moments in the movie. Um, and I think there was a lot of really great comedic moments when you're watching her and Jack Nicholson at the restaurant, like whenever she's like in the convertible and the top yeah. is down and her hair is a fucking mess. And then she goes into the bathroom and she's just like a hot mess. And I was very impressed at how well she managed to rain that quaff in. Yeah. So yeah, it, she made it look really good. Yeah. I'm like, good job. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> uh, whenever she was like on the beach and they're like spinning, they're like doing donuts yeah. on the beach <laughs> and then she hits the brakes and he goes flying and, you know, there was a lot of really great moments from her. I love that she always had her boundaries. I love that she always, like, was consistent. There wasn't really much growth to her character. She kind of just seemed consistently her. Yeah, she was... I mean, the only thing that happened was she finally stopped being a cock tease and let, yeah. let someone in. She's like, okay, I'm going to get laid, and I really, really like it. And I probably should have been doing a lot more of this. <laughs> like, yeah. that was the only growth I... I saw. Yeah, was uh, was uh, Jack Nicholson's growth, yeah. literally. Um, so also, growth. Jack Nicholson, yeah, he's like hot and not at the same time. I'm definitely on the not side. Yeah, like <laughs> I've never, I've never watched any Jack Nicholson movie and been like, mm, yeah, I'm gonna get yeah. me some of that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, like back in the 1970s, like in the One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, he was kind of cute. But he's really good at playing a piece of shit. Yeah, and I think that that's kind of like how he's like always cast, and uh, he's very good at it. Um, I think that, uh, it, you do really have two different stories between her and Emma, her daughter, but it made the movie work really well. I thought it was really, really well balanced. Um, and I think that where Shirley MacLaine's, uh, performance th that is so good is that because of her pride, it really lends to her comedy. Um, I think that I feel like her Oscar moment is when they're at the hospital and she needs... Give me the shot! Yep. Yeah. And she's freaking out and she's like, you know, I think that was probably like, probably her Oscar moment. Yeah, I feel like if on the telecast, if that's the clip that they would have shown, either that one or her like slapping yeah. the, the boy, which I was like, I really wanted to slap yeah. that boy. So <laughs> I'm just going to live vicariously through you as Aurora slaps Tom. Cause that was really, yeah, that was a nice little, little powerful bookend to the saying goodbye to your mom in the hospital room. And then yeah, getting slapped upside the head by grandma. And I'm glad that she did that. Yeah, she was, was necessary. I, I, it, it really Shirley MacLaine really balanced out this role with like a lot of comedy but also with drama I like the dramedy of it and she did it very very perfectly I think that this character Aurora could easily come off as really unlikable because she is kind of annoying but it's like the comedy is what makes it ch charming yeah so I think that only Shirley MacLaine could have done that you know and I I really really loved her in this movie, and I think that it's like Shirley MacLaine, like at her best. Um, I think that uh, it also was kind of nice to see whenever she realizes that she's catching feelings for Jack Nicholson, and then she knows that she shouldn't. 
So he breaks up with her because he also is like catching feelings. And then you can see that she cares, but she's mad. But she also was like, I don't want him to see that I'm mad. I think that was really well done, kind of having all those conflicting emotions all at once. Yeah, because both of them were like, oh, no, we don't want to get it. No attachments. No, we're just doing this. No, this is just... This is meaningless. Yep. Um, I think that... Uh, I think that... Uh, she really grounded this movie, and um, I think that when Deborah Winger died, I didn't care, but the way that I saw Shirley MacLaine react to the way that when Deborah Winger died, that's when I was sad. So Shirley yeah. MacLaine moved me, not Deborah Winger. Yeah, it was Shirley MacLaine's loss, not, <laughs> yeah, yeah. not Deborah Winger dying. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, I felt bad for the kids. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, especially like the, the, the youngest boy. I'm like, mm, you poor little schmoo. But then, <laughs> but then I really didn't like it. I really didn't like Deborah Winger's character that much. I agree. I agree. Uh, yeah, I think that De- uh, Shirley MacLaine said that Deborah Winger and Shirley MacLaine didn't have a very pleasant onset relationship, but she knew that um, they respected at each other. Respected each other. Uh, this is one of five films to receive uh, Oscar five Oscar nominations. No, this is one of sorry, <laughs> I'm drunk. This is one of five films to receive two Oscar nominations for Best Actress. The other were All About Eve, mm-hmm. Suddenly Last Summer, The Turning Point, and Thelma and Louise. Uh, Shirley MacLaine turned down the lead in Poltergeist to be in this movie. And Good choice. Yes, <laughs> good choice. And this movie, uh, there was a sequel to this movie in 1996 called The Evening Star, <gasps> which was a right. critical and commercial flop. Yes, it was. <laughs> well, uh, do you have anything else that you would like to add to this movie before we move on? No, no, I'm... Uh... Other than that beautiful haunted shack that Deborah Winger moved in for her first home, uh, I have nothing else to add. I'm like, are you homeless? Is this an actual home that you've purchased? No. Um, Okay, so I think that the time has come for us to say who we think should have won the Oscar, and you are the guest, so you will go first. I think the Oscar should have gone to... Well, Shirley MacLaine. I mean, she really did. It's an iconic performance, and and it's one of one of the performances that everyone's going to be talking about forever. But I'm very torn because I loved Julie Walters' performance, and I loved that movie. Like as a whole, I I think I enjoyed educating Rita a lot more than in terms of endearment, mm-hmm. uh, just because there was a lot more enjoyable people in it. Uh, but I get why I, I get why Shirley MacLaine won. Yeah, like it really was a like a classic. Shirley MacLaine, but like at the top of her game. Right. Okay. I uh, I love that. Okay, so I will go and say who I think. So I think the Oscar should have gone to... Meryl Streep for Silkwood. I... Okay. So frankly, this was kind of a three-way tie for me, like with Julie Walters and Meryl Streep and Shirley MacLaine. Yeah. However, of all of the movies, I think that the most compelling performance for me was Meryl Streep. I think this was Streep at, like, the top of her game. I think that she brought so many angles to the character. 
uh, because um, she was kind of a little unlikable, but she made it likable. I also think that, like, you just saw every facet of her, every mood and where she was coming from. And I really enjoyed watching, like, her journey. And I just, I think I liked her performance the most. That being said, though, like... Uh, like Julie Walters was like amazing. I would, I would probably watch the movie Educating Redia again. Like I would recommend it to anybody like I, that hasn't watched it before. It's very, very well acted and 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 really cool to see Mrs. Weasley <laughs> younger <laughs> and Shirley MacLaine. It's like this is the best Shirley MacLaine performance ever, and I I'm glad she won the Oscar. But for me, it was Meryl Streep and Silkwood. Nice. If I'd liked Silkwood more, I might have gone with Meryl <laughs> Streep. <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, that concludes another episode. And uh, Ted, where can people find you on social media? At, at, at Dog Tor Ted. That's Dr. Ted, but with a G because I work on dogs. Isn't it <laughs> hilarious? Uh, yeah, just find me uh, on my rarely updated Instagram page. I'm out there. That's amazing. Thank you so much. And we'll definitely have you back again. Yay. Thanks for having me. <laughs>